The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. I mean, no one plans to get sick, and yet, here we are. My name is Matthew Zachary. I survived cancer, a stroke, and COVID-19, and somehow, I'm still here. I also survived our stupid, broken healthcare system, and I want to help you survive it too. So let's go make healthcare suck less together, because you know what? We're all out of patience. Hey, that's the name of the show. Hello, friends, and welcome back. A quick reminder before we get started that if you like the show, I hope you do, and you are listening on Apple Podcasts, please consider leaving a review, a rating, something nice, hopefully something nice. Anyway, or don't, I digress. On the show today, performance psychologist Dr. Ben Bernstein is a very well-respected doctor of applied psychology, public speaker, coach, lecturer, and author of many books, including the one we'll be discussing on the show today called Stressed Out for Parents, How to Be Calm, Confident, and Focused. <laughs> Laughs in the background. He's also a Second City alum, musical theater nerd, composer of operas, and a fellow pianist. Ticks all the right boxes. Anyway, he dropped by Offscript Media Studios in person. How novel. And not only did we compare notes on both being fully vaccinated, we had a fascinating discussion about stress, anxiety, stage fright, what a modern day coach really means in 2021, and how back in the day, it still wasn't okay to tell somebody dealing with all sorts of crap to just get over it. On with the show. Ben Bernstein, thanks for coming on Out of Patience. Live here in studio, we are both vaccinated and how refreshing to see another human being in front of me. Matt, I can't tell you what it's like to just be with you in person after having listened to you and all your podcasts. So thank you for having me. So for the record, listeners, Ben is the listener. So I'm talking <laughs> to Ben right now. I'm staring at my listener. So thank you for listening. Well, thank you. I, I hope I get some kind of reward, uh, but we'll see what happens. Well, it's Passover. So I have some dry, disgusting, constipating, inducing matzah in the back. No chocolate matzah? Chocolate egg matzah. Let's keep it straight. <laughs> okay. All right. Do our best. Jelly rings? Jelly rings. Jelly rings. Okay. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The Malamars of kosherness. I love kosherness Malamars. My father used to eat whole boxes of them <laughs> at once. Well, I love to find the common threads, and you're the first guest I've ever had on my show that's mentioned Bella Bartok in their biography. So explain to me how we're both somehow musicians and pianists. That's right. So I started out playing the piano when I was um, six years old, growing up in Brooklyn, and I loved the piano. I played very prodigiously, and um, I just loved it. It was actually kind of an escape. What was it doing in your house growing up? Like, did your parents play? Oh, yes. So, yeah, thank you for asking that. So my grandmother... Um, when my mother was a child, they lived over the Dime Savings Bank in Brooklyn. 86th Street. 
That was the big dime savior back in 86th Street. So you probably met my grandmother, but you're not that old. Well, my aunt Sid, who was like, when I was young, she was in her 70s. So they might have known they each other. They probably knew each other, and we're probably cousins. So grand- <laughs> grandma, <laughs> gra- grandma B, the story is Grandma B used to walk around the bank and pick up the change that fell from people's pockets and until it added up to $1,500, and she bought a new Steinway in 1938. Wow. And my mother played quite well, but she stopped fairly early on. But my mother inherited the piano, and then I inherited the piano. But I started at six years old. And that's, was it an upright or a grand? No, baby. It was a baby grand. Wow. Yeah. Model A, Model B? It was a Model S something. We're totally geeking out to the <laughs> listeners on Steinway lore. Yes. yes. Well, anybody who interested in Steinway, we're probably going to have to sell it at some point, which I really regret. Well, I know a, I know a guy. Okay. I am from Brooklyn, so we all know guys. We all know guys. Yeah, we know the guy. We know a few gals, too. <laughs> yes, I suppose so. <laughs> I hope so. But I was reading that you had um, like stopped playing for a while and oh, recently yeah. rekindled it. Well, no, what happened was, and this is really pertinent to the work that I do, that I was, I, I love playing the piano, and I played very beautifully and very prodigiously. And what happened was my teacher and my mother particularly saw this as an opportunity to drive me into competitions and recitals and national auditions, none of which I was interested in. I just wanted to play the piano. Mm -hmm. So it turned into a whole performance thing that I was very – it just, I was so anxious before every performance. I would, you know, I would just shake. You can't sit on the stage at the Brooklyn Academy of Music and have your hands and knees shake and play the piano. It doesn't work. And by the time I was 14, I had just had enough. And nobody helped me. It was all like, what's the matter with you? That's a good one. Mm-hmm. You'll grow out of it. That was my grandfather's favorite line. Sounds like, like, old school parenting the right way maybe well it was snap out of it what's wrong with you (laughs) yeah you'll grow out of it what was the other one it's all in your head that's a really good one okay so um but i didn't and by age 14 i just said i'm going to stop playing the piano and i stopped for i would say 30 years wow and then i had a series of musical dreams that were stupendous of music that i had written what were you on at the time Therapy. <laughs> <laughs> I was going more prescription based yeah, or non-prescription yeah, I, I based. Where you were going, but <laughs> so no. But the, I had a very good a Jungian analyst, and he, you know, he said, "Listen, you really have to pay attention. This is you. This is who you are." And so I found my way back to the piano to the extent that I ended up taking um, a master's degree after the PhD in psychology, after the master's in psychology, a master's degree in music composition. Wow. And got back into music, and um, I coach opera singers. I, I've written three one-act operas. and uh, read about that. I'm really into it. I want it. to talk yeah. about those. Uh, anytime. I love the whole stage fright because how I compensated, I started playing at 11 years old. Okay. It was a little late in life, yeah. but my mom played as a kid. But uh-huh. On her honeymoon, my grandma threw the piano out the window pretty much. Car- Watch cartoon out. style, right? <laughs> Literally, there's some Watch schmuck out. on the sidewalk like, ah, oh, piano. <laughs> so in her 30s, my dad bought her a piano to rekindle because she became a kindergarten teacher and there was a piano in the classroom. So she wanted to practice at home. I came home one day in sixth grade. There's a piano in the house. I'm like, all right, what? where do you put your fingers? And I just kind of figured it out. But I was trained by a Juilliard graduate in her, she was probably in her 60s in the 1980s, but she was super ultra, like what's Elvis kind of real classical. And I learned about embouchure and about positioning and finger stretch, all the traditional 
stuff like how Stravinsky, when he played piano, had these weird finger stretching things, whatever. (laughs) But I didn't like to perform the classical music because I played like the theme to, I don't know, Hill Street Blues better. Yeah. I played Journey better. (laughs) That that was kind of classical in its own way. Yes, exactly. Exactly. St. Elsewhere. I played the theme to like Growing Pains and Silver Spoon. Yeah, like you go to, remember Sam Goody? Do I remember Sam Goody? Of course I do. Yeah, exactly. Go there all the time, just gawk at the instruments. Yes, exactly. So it's funny we have such a a comment there, but I liked a stage. Did you do like theater in college as well, ad-libbing? Yes, because the family has a a lot of history in theater. And when I got to, in high school, um, we had these um, musicals called Sing every year. Remember Sing? Yeah. Where did you go to high school? I went to high school on Staten Island. Okay. I grew up. Cottonville High School. Where is that? Where is that now? It's the Forgotten Borough of New York City. Okay. I think it's still there. <laughs> There's some bridges. You got to get I've, to it. I've heard. It. We used to go camping there when I was in the Boy Scouts. There used to be trees there, there too. It was like the outdoor and limits. horses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, so where were we, Matt? We were discussing stage fright and how oh, yeah. musical theater and acting oh, yeah. well, kind of brought out this part of us. It did. It did. And and I was into it, but. When I got older and I got further along in uh, acting, uh, actually to the point of becoming an equity actor much later. You were equity? I was. I guess I still am. I had a SAG card for one day. <laughs> that was a sad story. Yeah, very sad story. <laughs> so, um, but I had terrible stage fright because I would, I would just be freaked out that I was going to stand in front of the audience and go, I, I can't go on. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. You know, in fact... When a Bar- Wait, were you a bad memorizer? No, no, no. When Barbara Harris won the Tony Award for The Apple Tree, okay? The Apple Tree, wow. The night after she won the Tony Award, my mother and I had tickets in the orchestra, Aethros Center, and it was very exciting because she just won the Tony Award. They made an announcement that um, Alan Alda, I think, was her co-star, but he couldn't appear that night, so it was a big disappointment. The whole thing started off, and it was, it was a little rocky at the beginning. You felt, okay, this guy is just standing in, and, mm-hmm. and then it got rockier, and she got into her first number, and she was just staring at the audience, and she waved her hand at the conductor, not even looking at him, and the orchestra went, blah, 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 blah. and she just looked at the audience and she said, I can't go on. The chemistry just wasn't there for her that night without Alan Alda. Some chemistry must have been there, yeah. but it wasn't wow. the right chemistry. And she walked off the stage. Wow. Oh, my. So talk about confused stage fright, the whole thing. Yeah. So the point of this whole story for me, the origin story, is that no one really helped me with with anxiety, mm-hmm. with stage fright, with lack of confidence. Well, back then it was just shut up. Yeah, you'll grow <laughs> out of it. <laughs> Remember, did you have like the fresh air classes on the roof at school? No. That, talking about politically incorrect by today's standards, like if you were just like one of those kids that couldn't focus and didn't yeah, care right. and like had probably back then all sorts of mental health issues, they just stuck you on the roof to breathe like fresh air. Are, are we talking biographical here, Matt? Mm, might have been family related. <laughs> no, no. Um, it brought up a memory for me of during the Korean War. We oh, remember okay. that. I was not there. I just look old. We had, <laughs> They had bomb drills. And you had to shelter in place under your desk. And I refused to get under the desk. And the teacher walked up to me, and she was livid. And she looked down at me, and she said, if a bomb drops on this school and you die, I'm not going to pity you. 
The best part of that is you would die one nanosecond earlier than the kids under the desk. Well, <laughs> but I didn't have the wherewithal to save a bomb drops in this school, honey. We're all gone. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> because the desks made of wood clearly won't burn. Right. Yeah. I think Lewis Black did a whole bit about how you were hiding under kindling. Oh, well, it could be. Yeah. So fresh air, what, fresh air club? The fresh air club. I don't know. It's called the fresh air something. Yeah. No, that sounds. We need a break. Let's go have some oxygen, shall we, (laughs) on the roof? Uh, Look, having worked with a lot of teenagers and children and adults who are diagnosed with ADHD, I can tell you that making a child sit in a chair for more than 15 minutes at a time is really problematic. Especially today. Yeah. Especially. Even worse today. It's worse today. I tried to get my kids to watch like The Wizard of Oz. And, you know, it's a fabulous film, but it's slow by today's like Teen Titans and SpongeBob movies. Right. So they yeah. can't, it's like you can't force the attention span in reverse order. No, but it makes me think we ought to design a Wizard of Oz game. Like, how do you get to the Emerald City really fast? Right. Minecraft for the Wizard of Oz. Let's do that. <laughs> Let's do it. So I want to get to one quick thing before we take a break, which is that you are. I don't know, maybe having too many degrees, bachelor's, double master's, <laughs> doctorate, PhD. Yeah. Are you an underachiever? Um, I'm just an achiever. I mean, what it really is, is that um, I was sucked into the educational system, which you had to do. I don't know. I'm of that age where you had to do this, you had to do that, you had to do that. And by the time I did my PhD, Um, which was in psychology, I was advised, don't write on anything of any importance, nothing that you care about, just do a simple experiment, get out of here. And I said, you know, I've spent my whole life so far in the educational system, nothing has meant anything to me, and this is going to make a difference. And I really wrote a, a dissertation in psychology in the first person, and it was very controversial, and I'm really glad I did it. It meant something to me. Back with our guest after the break. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Bite clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. 
That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. So let's talk about what a performance psychologist is, because my first question as a Jew, is anyone just not helpable? <laughs> you ever just meet people like, ah, screw it? Uh, it's a great question, actually, Matt. The only people person who's not helpable is one who believes he or she can't be helped. Okay. And, and unfortunately, people tell themselves that story based on their experience and based on a lot of fear and based on not being educated properly about who they actually are, you know, a baby doesn't come, you've had twins, babies don't come out of the womb thinking, I can't be helped. That's a product of different aspects of their upbringing with the parents, with the schools, often because they, they display some difference and people don't know how to deal with the difference. So they get labeled, they get medicated on and on and on. And this can eventuate in serious situations where people feel like I just, no one can help me. But that's really the only person who it's a real struggle to help. Does one have to hit the proverbial rock bottom to realize that they need help? No, not necessarily. I think one has to get to a place where the certain behaviors just don't produce the result that they want it to produce, and it go, keeps going in the wrong direction, and they can't, they, they just don't know how to do something differently, and they need guidance. So that's when people, most people will look toward a therapist or a counselor or a coach to help them out of that rut. And, you know, the rut ends up as being depression or anxiety or addiction or, you know, a whole bunch of unproductive behaviors. So we used to have everyone calling themselves a guru and then everyone thought called themselves a thought leader. And back in the day, there was the coach. What does coach mean in different variant sort of descriptions in 2021? Well, to me, the, the model for coach should be the athletic coach, the coach who... Um, works with uh, athletes of all levels, whether it's Little League or Olympic athletes. And what that coach does is that coach sees the native talent in the individual and knows how to help them move to a place where they can reach their potential. So, you know, you hear stories of coaches. Michael Phelps is a good example of going through different coaches, but the coach that he ended up with really could draw him toward what to do. The, the word coach has gotten so overused now. It's diluted. Yeah, it's been diluted. And it's, it's too bad because the coach serves a very, very important function. They, they know the pathway. They know how to get there. And when a really good coach will see the native talent that really wants to be developed, that wants to be drawn out, um, so a coach is an educator in some way. You know, teachers in some, in some way, teachers are really coaches. The right teachers. The right teachers, I yeah. mean, it's a very kind of N of one to be all jargony medical. Like, uh -huh. it's about your nature nurture. Not everyone is cut out with baked in empathy, and they're just automatons as teachers. I've had many automaton teachers, and I've had many teachers that I felt were like avuncular or very much like a family member that yeah. understood me. Same in medicine, too. It was the same in every field, really. I mean, 
I had the great good fortune when the Vietnam War was on and I was very draftable, graduating college. I totally dedicated to national service, but I did not want to serve in that war. And at that point, guys my age could uh, get a deferment if you taught in ghetto schools, then called ghetto schools. And I did in Bedford-Stuyvesant, but I found out about schools in England that were incredibly advanced in poor neighborhoods where the children loved to come to school. Why? Because they were involved in activities all day. Remember activities? I Before kind of, STEM destroyed I, education? I remember activities. It's like I remember money. Do you remember <laughs> money, Matt? Cash? These paper things? <laughs> I, uh, it's unbelievable. But Cords? Remember phones with cords? Yeah, oh, cords. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, I remember that too. So I want to get to this book you wrote, one of many that you can learn about at, his, uh, at your website, which is? drbeyourbest.com. That's D-R, the letter B, Y-O-U-R-B-E-S-T, drbeyourbest.com. So talk about spelling. (laughs) We don't spell things normally anymore either. Your book is called Stressed Out for Parents, How to Be Calm, Confident, and Focused. And I see that you probably didn't talk to my wife about this because she's still stressed out for parents. And I love you, honey. But, you know, it's a good thing that we got the How to Raise Your Kids booklet when they were born because we've been fine for 10 years Uh i'm totally making that up okay well you know you're not alone who teaches parents how to be parents nobody you learn from your own example you know favorable or unfavorable but there are certain skills that a parent needs to learn the the difference with this book is it focuses on the parent not on the child So as a performance psychologist, so I work with athletes, actors, dentists, um, lawyers. Wait, performance dentistry? Well, dentistry is (laughs) It's an art, dental art. There you go. It's an art. The singing dentist, yeah. So um, no, no, dentistry uh, is an extremely high-stress profession. Mm -hmm. They're really performing all the time. So what I found is, is, is that there is, there's a scientific relationship between stress and performance. So imagine a bell curve. You have stress as the horizontal axis and performance as the vertical axis, and it's a bell curve. Too much stress, performance goes down. Too little stress, performance goes down. No juice. Mm-hmm. Right in the middle, right at the peak, is just the right amount of stress to produce optimal performance, Mm -hmm. okay? Now, parents learn basically from their parents for good or ill, but they don't really know the tools to get into the zone. That's called the zone in the middle. So when I studied this over years- Well, how much vomit and diarrhea get you in the zone? You tell me, Matt. I, don't <laughs> I had twins. I had double the double the fun. Double the dose, dude. Well, what can I say? I mean, you know what I what I'm talking about. Okay, here's the story. So, everybody, you, me, your wife, your kids, everybody is three components: body, mind, and spirit. That's mm. the totality of who we are. Agreed. Okay. Now there are optimal states in each one of those to produce an optimal amount of stress, to produce optimal performance. So in the body, you want the body to be calm. In the mind, you want the mind to be confident. And in the spirit, you want the spirit to be focused. That's a three-legged stool. When all three legs are equally strong, that's a really sturdy platform for performance. So where's the, I would say, solve for X, right? The thing that impacts all three of them like a Rube Goldberg machine. Well, so, um, well, explain that a little better for me. So you can have your mind, body, soul, but they're all equally influenced in different facets by stimulus. That's correct. 
That's absolutely correct. And you have to know when you're being impacted in a certain way. An example, and you, I'm sure you had this. Child comes in the room, daddy, 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 ah! And the parent goes, calm down. <laughs> I know not of what you speak. <laughs> so the book is about how the parent needs to be calm and confident and focused in parenting. It's not, it's, these are not mysteries. There are actually only nine tools, three for being calm, three for being competent, three for being focused for everybody. Everybody. One of the things I love about Offscript and what you're doing is because everybody should be getting this material so we can learn about ourselves and be able to help ourselves be more healthy. We can all learn to be calm and confident and focused, and we can all be in the zone. When athletes talk about it, they talk about it like it's magical. Oh, man, wow, I got in the zone. But it's not magical. It's actually a state of consciousness, of awareness, of presence. So where do you go when you get stressed? Do you take your own medicine? Yes, I do, actually. I do. Um, I've trained myself out of worrying, so I don't worry. Now, that doesn't mean... I don't have moments of feeling worry, but as soon as I do, that's a trigger, and I know how to get myself just back in the present moment. Worrying is all about the future or the past. When you're in the future or the past, you feel stressed. Stress is a function of disconnection, disconnection from the present. All the yogis, all the rishis, all the ancient scribes, and they all learned how to be in the present. They've been trying to teach us this for thousands of years. So what are you working on these days? About what? Your life. Oh. You've been doing this a long time. You have a storied career, like award-winning pre-Second City <laughs> <laughs> improv guy. Well, I'm working on a book that I've been working on for a while, but it's coming uh, clearer. Uh, I don't have the, the working title. It's called The Path to Optimal Living. But the subtitle tells a story. Subtitle is Accept, Grow, and Contribute. Accept, grow, and contribute. So working backwards, we're all here to contribute something. That's why we're here. That's what we are here well, for. I'd like Earth. to think that everyone believes that. Well, not everyone believes it. We just had four years of someone who really didn't believe it, mm -hmm. right? Totally. But that's how the world is made up. The world is made up of a wonderful doctor in India that I have studied with. He would say, you're even in an I world or a we world. Bingo. Exactly. Bingo. We're all in a we world, whether we know it or not, mm -hmm. right? The more, we, the more we realize that is and make it real, the way we do that is through each making a contribution. And each of us is here to make an individual contribution to the greater good. That's contribute. But it starts with accepting. If we, life, is, life is continuously challenging. It's just one well, challenge after another. Yogi Berra said, if life were easy, we'd all do it. <laughs> Good old yogi. Yeah, so what's the story with accept is that we either want something or we don't want something. That's not accepting. We want more of that. We don't want that. Life doesn't work like that. So the key is to just accept what's there, accept. And, you know, you can always reference great athletes about this because they don't, you know, hey, you didn't pass the ball to me right. Come on, the game is going on. You're going to lose. They accept. They just take it for what they receive. Mm -hmm. Accept doesn't mean you love it. It doesn't mean you embrace it. It doesn't mean you come by eye. It just means you accept it. And when you accept something, the next question you can ask yourself is, how can I grow from this? Because every experience, 
Every experience is, a, is an opportunity for growth. You're a living example of that. 25 years, okay? You did your homework. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I like, you know, yes, yeah, thank you. But that's, you know, that's what we're talking about, right? Is how people can really accept accept what's going on. I get choked up even talking about it. Accept what's happening in their lives. They don't want it. You didn't ask for that. But you accept it, and then you grow from it. And then when you grow from it, look what you're doing. You're giving, you're making a contribution to many people. That's what we're here for. I'm on the record as having never asked, why me? A beautiful, Matt, beautiful. Never asked it. You it should never write occurred a to me You should to write a that. book with that title, Never Ask Why Me. I ask, where do I go with this? That's, that, that's, and that came from my parents. They said, stop asking why me. It's not about you. This happened to you. What do you do now? Well, you are very fortunate. That, that's accept, grow, contribute right there. That's what, what they do were I win? doing with you. What do you win? Well, you gave you me a book already. You, <laughs> <laughs> you win the opportunity to take me on a cruise. You know, they have vaccine-only cruises now, yeah, so I, I agree. I will. I accept I your know. offer. Right. All right. Dr. Ben Bernstein, performance psychologist, stress doctor, piano man. I'm going to just call you piano man. I like that. Well, Billy, Musical Billy, theater Billy Joel might not go for that, but okay. Well, yeah. I mean, I, can you trademark the word <laughs> piano man? I have a feeling he did. He copyrighted the title, I'm sure. All right. Well, fine. Not the piano man. Piano-ish man. Music guy. I Music like guy. And pianist. I've just written, uh, you asked me what I'm doing. I'm writing cabaret songs in the mode of Tom Lehrer. Remember Tom Lehrer? Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. that's so, a throwback. Um, yeah, so my songs, I'm going to have a Zoom cabaret. I'm hiring a piano. I don't play that well. I love to play, but I don't play that well. So I'm going to have a Zoom cabaret. One of my songs is called Irritated. Oh, we can agree on that. <laughs> All right, the website is Dr. Be Your Best. The letter B is just the letter B. There's no E. Dr. Be Your Best.com. Ben Bernstein. Mensch, what a guy. Thank you for coming Matt, on the show. it's a total pleasure, and it's an honor, and I really support everything you're doing at script, and I hope everybody listens. That's all for today, folks. If you like today's show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. Out of Patience with Matthew Zachary is a product of Offscript Media. Our executive producer is Matthew Zachary. Our senior producers are Brianna Seeley, Jen Orange, and Andrew McDowell. It is mixed and edited by Brianna Seeley. Our theme music is by the Mike Van Allen Quintet and by Mara. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscript.com. Hit us up at contact at offscript.com to share comments, feedback, and make recommendations. For more information, visit offscript.com.